This is Barry Zelma, Zelma on Insurance. I am an attorney who has retired from the practice of law and now spend my time as an insurance claims consultant, an insurance claims expert witness, an author and producer of these videos. Today I'd like to speak about torts and specifically the tort of negligence which must be understood by every insurance claims professional, whether dealing with first-party property claims or third-party liability claims. Negligence is the failure to exercise the care toward others, which a reasonable or prudent person would do in the circumstances. Negligence is always a reference to something that was accidental. It is different from intentional torts like assault, battery, or trespass, or from crimes. The elements of the tort of negligence are 1. A duty. 2. Breach of that duty by want of ordinary care. 3. The breach of the duty causes harm to a person or the property of a person. If an injury is caused by something owned or controlled by the supposedly negligent party, while how the accident actually occurred is not known, like a ton of bricks falls from a construction job, negligence can be found based on the doctrine of race ipsa loquitur, or the thing speaks for itself. The basic duty of care is set forth in statutes, including a statute like California Civil Code Section 1714, which provides in part, quote, everyone is responsible not only for the result of his or her willful acts, but also for an injury occasioned to another by his or her want of ordinary care or skill in the management of his or her property or person, except so far as the latter has, willfully or by want of ordinary care, brought the injury upon himself or herself, close quote. The duty of care is a requirement that a person act toward others and the public with the watchfulness, attention, caution, and prudence that a reasonable person in the circumstances would use. If a person's actions do not meet this standard of care, then the acts are considered a breach of the duty of care, negligent, and any damages resulting may be claimed in a lawsuit for negligently causing damage. In order to establish the tort, or a defense to the tort, it must first be established that there was a duty. The duty may be the common general duty to so use your property in person as to not cause damage to others. This general duty is part of every relationship. The duty may be a special duty because of the relationship of the parties. 
For example, if the people involved are guardians, trustees, or employers. If there is no duty, there can be no breach and no negligence. A duty of care will not be held to exist, even as to foreseeable injuries where the social utility of the activity concerned is so great and avoidance of the injuries so burdensome to society as to outweigh the compensatory and cost internalization values of negligence liability. Public policy creating a duty is based on state and federal statutes and the common law. A statute reflecting public policy may create a duty when a plaintiff is within the class of persons to be protected by the statute, and the harm that occurred is the risk that the statute sought to protect against. Unlike duties based on special relationships, duties based on public policy do not necessarily require pre-existing relationships. Rather, the statute itself creates a legal relationship between the parties giving rise to a duty. Breach of duty is the second step to determine whether there is negligence and to determine whether the duty was breached. Did the person insured do something that was contrary to the duty? This is the first question that must be answered by an investigator dealing with an insurance claim where an insured is accused of negligently acting in such a way as to cause damage to another. For example, did he or she drop a banana peel in front of a person? Did he or she spill a drink in a store aisle and neglect to clean it up? Did the insured sell an electric machine that he or she knew was broken and would give a shock to whoever used it? Had the insured left a wall open in the backyard? If there is no breach, there is no liability. A breach of duty is the failure to perform a duty that a person is legally obligated to perform. The question of a breach of duty is one of fact for the jury to determine, or if no jury, the trial judge. Of course, a claim of breach of duty is duplicative in a breach of contract cause of action because a simple breach of contract is not to be considered a tort unless a legal duty independent of the contract itself has been violated. An attempt to turn a garden variety contract cause of action against a defendant into a tort-based breach of duty of loyalty cause of action will usually fail as a matter of law. Basically, the only contract breach that can be effectively alleged as a tort is a breach of the covenant of good faith and fair dealing in an insurance policy. The third element of negligence is proximate cause. It must be determined if the breach of the duty was the proximate or legal cause of the injury. 
a cause is a proximate cause if the defendant's conduct was a substantial factor in bringing about an injury to the plaintiff. The Supreme Court noted uh, in Mitchell v. Gonzalez that the substantial factor test contained within it the but-for test, that is, but for the actions of the defendant, the plaintiff would not have been injured and also substantially resolve the problem of independent causes. A proximate cause of injury, loss or harm, is a cause which, in natural and continuous sequence, produces the injury, loss or harm, and without which the injury, loss or harm would not have occurred. If proximate cause cannot be proved, there can be no liability for negligence. A plaintiff is entitled to recover damages in a negligence action if he or she demonstrates that a defendant's negligence was a proximate cause of the plaintiff's injury, that is, that the defendant's negligence was one, not necessarily the only, substantial factor in causing the injuries. A plaintiff's right of recovery arises on his or her showing that the defendant was negligent and that the defendant's negligence was a proximate cause of the plaintiff's injury, and any comparative fault on the plaintiff's part will merely diminish the damages award. Under the present rule reflected in decisions of the first and second departments, a plaintiff seeking partial summary judgment on the issue of a defendant's liability is required to prove her freedom from comparative fault. If an intervening cause exists, there is no liability. The adjuster, when conducting an investigation into an insured's liability, should, for a start, apply the but-for test. The adjuster should then ask if the action or inaction of someone else intervened after the action of the insured to relieve the insured of liability. If there is an intervening cause, the but-for test still applies. But for the action or inaction of the intervening act, would the plaintiff have been injured? This could apply to a simple claim where a postman trips and falls over a rake left in the walkway on his way to the mailbox. To determine if there is a tort liability, the investigator must determine if the insured left the rake on the walk and if he or she concludes that the insured did, but for the action of the insured, would the male person, male man, have been injured? If it was so, the proximate cause can be proved to the insured's detriment. If it was the gardener, on the other hand, who left the rake, and the insured failed to pick it up, Again, proximate cause can be proved because but for the insured's lack of action, the mailman would not have been injured. 
On the other hand, if the insured left the rake on the log and the gardener moved it to the walk without the insured's knowledge, the actions of the gardener may be an intervening cause that may be a defense to the insured's liability. Another question to ask if negligence per se establishes liability. If the evidence establishes that the plaintiff or defendant's violation of a statute or ordinance proximately caused the injury and no excuse or justification for the violation is shown by evidence, responsibility may be fixed upon the violator without other proof of failure to exercise due care. If a statute is violated, and that violation is the proximate cause of an injury, the duty element is presumed to have been established. The conflation of loss causation with proximate cause appears to result, however, in many cases from the conflation of each in turn with foreseeability. But where foreseeability is to some extent relevant to proximate cause, Foreseeability, on the other hand, goes partly to how strong or weak, near or remote, the court takes the causal connection to be, and ultimately then to the question of whether the court wishes to hold those speeding liable for an increased likelihood of falling branches, damaging passing cars or vehicles. The unforeseeability of a, force, of a particular risk, which may indicate the relevant weakness of a causal connection, is among the factors courts consider under proximate cause, but a decision not to impose liability to lack of proximity does not negate the presence, in fact, of causal tendency. It is enough to say that the negligence is tested by foresight, but proximate cause is determined by hindsight. This video was adapted from my book, Zalma on Insurance Claims, Part 105, Second Edition, and is available as a Kindle book and as a paperback from Amazon.com and can be examined with some detail as part of a 10-volume set of Zalma on insurance claims from my website, zalma.com, by clicking on the link to the insurance claims library. If you found this video to be of use to you or any of your co colleagues, please pass it on. And please subscribe to my YouTube channel and to my blog so that you can be informed of future videos and blog posts. Thank you again for your attention.